Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, into LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Friends and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth True Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. As you all know, we talk all about commercial real estate. That's where you know the value at uh, true real estate investing comes in after the Achieve Wealth. And today we're going to be talking about an asset class which we have never talked about before. We have talked about multifamily as usual, right? Because that's what I do. And we talk about mobile home park. We talk about self-storage. But today we're going to be talking about single tenant net lease business, asset class and business as well. And I have Neil Walgren from San Francisco. Hey, Neil, say hi to everyone. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on the show today, James. Yeah. So Neil is an, uh, is an expert uh, in this asset class, and we want to go very deep into this asset class because I really want to understand how it works, how it can give, uh, how it can be a really good investment vehicle. So Neil, why not you tell our audience about yourself uh, and uh, you know what market are you focusing on as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just some quick background. So Neil Walgren, I live in San Francisco, I'm born and raised in the in the Bay Area here. Um, spent before commercial real estate, I actually had a, a very different chapter. I went to the Air Force Academy and ended up flying C one hundred and thirty aircraft for both the the Air Force and the Navy Reserve. Um, so did that that for about 10 years. Um, while I was in, I got my MBA and uh, shortly thereafter got out and quickly transitioned over to the, uh, mainly the, the capital raising equity side of commercial real estate. And the background was, was kind of interesting. I ended up getting connected with a, a family friend that had a Bay Area based equity business. And the model was uh, they would basically partner with commercial brokers and sponsors on a deal by deal basis and our company had a network of investors. So we would actually create the investment offering. We would raise the capital and then our partners would be asset facing. So they would focus on, you know, whatever uh, commercial real estate that we were buying there. Uh, but what was neat about it was we had about six or eight different partners that we worked with. And so, you know, we had one guy who did multifamily. We had another group that did, you know, multi-tenant retail, another one multi-tenant industrial. One guy did office. Um, so we really got to see a lot of different asset types and get to see, you know, different underwriting, you know, how to structure it and see the you know, kind of comparative risks and rewards of each, each asset class. And one of the groups I worked with was Mag Capital and they strictly do single tenant net lease. And I was, I was really drawn to both the model and the team over there and had the opportunity about two years ago to fully join Mag Capital. And so now I oversee um, the COO and oversee everything from operations, but largely, you know, growing our investor pool and growing our, our equity side. And when we do raise money, um, 
I basically oversee a, a small team to bring in all the investor equity in order to close on the single tenant industrial deals we do. So let's go into deep uh, into the single tenant. So, so in the beginning, you were you were raising money for different asset classes, I guess, right? Then you were attracted to this one partner, right? Or you know, a friend or a group. Uh, then you joined them, I guess, which does single right. tenant net lease, which is interesting. So, so you can compare now all the asset classes, I guess, right? So, yeah, <laughs> it's, I'd say I have a, a unique perspective, having you know really kind of deep dived with a bunch of these different types of uh, asset classes, where yeah. a lot of people get kind of niched into just one early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, operators like for me, I'm an operator. We 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 need to specialize on one. Like like your partner, <laughs> Mad Capital, they're going to be all focusing on one, right? They can't go into multiple asset class because every asset class in my belief is a is a, is a there's a, so much of nuances in it there's so much of details oh, very different so much, animals so much of expertise and it's very hard for me to find someone who can do all of it and say that they are really good at each one of it right because you know you need you need really strong uh, specialization so at very high level since you have done multiple asset class can you describe what is this different about single tenant uh, you know uh, net lease um, business compared to like multifamily self-storage or mobile home park or other absolutely yeah it's a, it's a very different look and what i mean by that is in comparison to say you know multifamily, which you and your listeners have a, a uh, specific expertise in you know multifamily. really it's a combination of you know having the right kinds of tenants in your buildings but uh, largely, you're really focusing on the building itself and, you know, doing improvements to that building that really generate increased rents and better occupancy and the metro and the demographics are extremely important. Uh, conversely, on industrial, especially on the single tenant net lease side, all those factors are still important, but at a much lower level. And instead, your focus goes significantly into really the, the quality of the lease and the quality of the tenant um, who's guaranteeing that lease. And so th those two factors become really the cornerstone on whether that, that entire investment and the cash flows that come from that investment are predictable on time and profitable. Or, you know, if you don't weigh that well, you know, you can really find yourself in a bad spot with an empty building and having to release potentially in a non, you know, non-major metro. Got it. So we in your specialization, so when we talk about single tenant, are you talking about I mean, industrial specific or is this retail as well? Um, we, we mainly do about 90% or so of our deals are industrial. And so oh, okay, I'll give you it. kind of a general tenant profile. You know, most what we seek out are very longstanding manufacturing tenants. Most have been in operation 40, 50, 60 years. You know, they, they make core products, um, usually non-consumer focused. Um, so most of these are B2B products. For example, uh, you know, some recent acquisitions we did included tenants in the, you know, government aerospace parts manufacturers. We did one that did high density uh, foam end caps that are kind of custom, custom laser cut to perfectly fit, you know, high-end electronics and, and appliances. Um, we did a, another company down in Phoenix where the company actually was a contract manufacturer for hair and skin products. So retail brands would go to them and say, hey, I need, you know, a thousand gallons of this new skin cream. Here's the formula. And this company would make it sell to the retail facing brand who would label it and then market and sell it. So those type of B2B products. Uh, and the reason we, we seek that is because those kind of companies tend to be much more resilient to the highs and lows of economic cycles compared to, you know, uh, consumer facing industries. 
Got it, got it. So just to clarify for the listeners, a B2B means business to business, which is a distinction between B2C, right? Which is business to customers directly, right? So you guys do more on the business to business. So, so there's no retail customers involved, right? So- Absolutely. Yeah, so, okay. So let's go into deeper into this single uh, tenant net lease. Okay, so why single tenant? Why not multi-tenant industrial building? Yeah, and, and to be honest, you know, a lot of people, tend to shy away from that at first, you know, cause they view, especially coming from the multifamily side, you know, you, you view, Hey, if I have multiple tenants, I can afford to lose a few and still have my overall NOI uh, can cover debt service and I can still have a, a profitable investment. And sometimes that concentrated risk of a single tenant can sound a little scary. Instead, we, we look at it really that, you know, it is a concentrated risk, but if you understand the credit worthiness of that tenant and understand it well, then suddenly you have a, a very reliable set of cash flows that are coming from that tenant and the lease tied with it. And ultimately we, we have a specialty in that we've built a, a team in-house um, we call it our credit advisory team, where every time we go into a deal, they actually, not only are they building the investment summary that's you know similar for most investment um, real estate offerings, but we also create a credit memo and that credit memo is gonna deep dive into all really a, a kind of a hybrid of, of not just the real estate, but also what, for example, private equity groups might look for, you know, and we're looking for financial ratios, EBITDAs, EBITDA margins, how much long-term debt they have. And then to take it a step further, uh, most of our acquisition deal flow comes through um, what's called a sale leaseback and sale leasebacks is, are, are really well suited for single tenant deals. And ultimately we will come in and, we usually um, will buy a piece of property from an owner occupant. So typically a manufacturing company that also owns their own real estate and they will look and they use a sale leaseback really as uh, kind of a refinancing tool. And they're able to free up the capital that's tied up in the real estate and they sell us the building. And then simultaneously they turn around and sign a brand new 20 year full triple net lease. And that basically it's a, a win-win. So they're getting a big influx of cash that they use typically to grow the business or reinvest in ways that are more profitable than owning real estate for them. And then for us, we're getting a very securitized set of cash flow that we're able to start paying out to investors from day one and ultimately have a lot of protections in that we don't have to cover any expenses. And that's part of that triple net structure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to clarify to the listener, sale leaseback is basically a strategy used in commercial real estate where, you know, people who are not a real estate investor has been owning real estate and now they figure out, oh, this is too much for us. We don't really want to be in the real estate business. They just want the space, I guess, right? Then they said, someone come and buy my real estate, you know, but I want to lease it back. So they don't lose the real, they don't lose the location. Right. So, but, but you, you are right. I mean, they get the benefit of getting a long-term lease plus the original location they were in mm -hmm. whereas real estate investor get some kind of uh, um, what you call uh, the cash flow because they are, they are, they have somebody who's leasing their, who's a high credit worthy, worthiness uh, lease. I mean, tenant who's already been there for a long time, who's not going to go anywhere. So they get, it's a win-win. That's what you mentioned. That, that's a really good explanation there. So I just want to clarify that because uh, Maybe it's for my own understanding as well, <laughs> but, sure, I, but, sure. I, but, but I think I know some of it, right? So, so, um, so coming back to single tenant uh, sale leaseback deals, right? How do you find them? 
Yeah. So I would say our, our average um, deal that we end up being able to bring to our investors mm-hmm. typically comes from a manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. And usually it will be, you know, owned uh, or recently owned by the founder. So imagine, you know, a man or woman started this manufacturing company maybe 40 years ago. They've grown it. They've reached retirement age and they're looking for their exit. So they typically will sell to a private equity group. And usually, you know, there's a lot of boutique, smaller private equity groups that really niche down on a certain type of manufacturing company. And they will come in and they'll buy the company. And usually that comes with the real estate. Now, these private equity groups, they're able to see much higher returns in investing in the company than they can in owning that real estate. So that's their driver for why they want to um, sell, sell us the real estate. So they come to us or they go through their broker who, who comes to us. Almost all of them are, are off market because the people that negotiate and can actually do full cycle sale lease specs, it's a fairly small community. It's much different than you know buying a listed property on yeah. LoopNet you know, that has an existing lease and really you're just buying the property. So instead, you know, once we connect, you know, we're negotiating with them on really on two, we have two main levers. So the first is what kind of net proceeds do they want? So we can see, all right, how much are we willing to pay for the real estate? And then the second piece is what are the terms that we're going to lease it back to them for? So you can kind of move those together. So, Hey, if you want to maximize proceeds, I'll buy it for maybe a little higher end of the market, but I'll sell it. I'll rent it back at a higher price per square foot. Conversely, if they want a, a lower price per square foot on the rent ongoing, then maybe um, they'll sell it to me for a relatively lower price. So we, we have a little bit of wiggle room and it's a bit of an art form there, but once you land on it, then they still maintain full control of the property and that they are you know responsible for all the expenses, but they can uh, do improvements and really operate that building fully uh, in the same way they were before that sale leaseback. And that's attractive to a lot of industrial um, owners who become tenants in that structure. Yeah. And they do get some kind of uh, tax benefit as well, right? Because now they become renters. So it's going to be mi- yeah. minus stuff from their books, I guess, as an expense. Yeah. Right? So, so- fr- from a financial level, there's really two reasons why you would do this versus mm-hmm. uh, mortgage. So you can actually you can um, pull out 100% of the proceeds of the value of the real estate through a sale leaseback. Whereas if you buy or own, typically you're only able to pull out about 60 to 70%. And then the second piece is you're able to write off 100% of your rent payments. Whereas uh, the mortgage interest ends up being capped at a certain percentage of your your EBITDA. And Mm -hmm. so there's, especially with the new tax laws, it's actually favored, um, it's much more beneficial to from a tax perspective to pay rent than it is to own and pay interest. Correct, correct. Yeah. So 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 there are the people who doesn't want to be in the real estate business, right? But they still want to own the business, right? Correct. And they still want the location. So they get the benefit of uh, you know the rent paid as an expense and they get to you know reduce from their um, from their tax uh, uh, liability, I would say, right? So Absolutely. that's good. So, I mean, industrial has been doing very well. I mean, in fact, I think that is the biggest beneficiary of this whole COVID thing, right? Because yeah. everything's moving online, right? So <laughs> is that uh, something that uh, your company has been focusing recently or they have been doing it for a very long time? We, we've been doing single tenant stuff for um, really since inception. So Mad okay. Capital was founded in, in early 2015. Um, the two founders, Dax and Andrew, Dax was a commercial real estate broker for about 15 years prior. 
Uh -huh. um, and so well, it was brokering deals and then started buying his own and then um, setting up small, small investment groups and formally started doing kind of our syndication model in 2015. And then Andrew is full CCIM. Uh, he's also a MAI commercial real estate appraiser by trade. Um, so he's really our valuation expert. So those, those two pieces are, are really necessary for the negotiations that go on to be able to negotiate price and the terms of the lease such that we're able to get good fundamentals of the real estate in the unlikely event that our tenant um, did default on a lease there such that we had to re-tenant. Re so, so tell me about what are the high level criteria of looking at a deal? What is the year build? How many square feet do you guys look sure. at? What kind of credit worthiness or how long the tenant need to be in, in that deal? And Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's funny, really the, the age and the quality of the building are much lower on the list of things to look at. You know, the real estate, these are, they're not fancy buildings. They're, you know, they're metal sided, flat roofed, usually in somewhat tertiary locations. Some are, are a little more primary, but a lot of times, you know, we will weigh and say, hey, we're willing to buy a building that's maybe a little bit farther out of a major metro because the quality of that, that tenant is, you know, higher than maybe the alternative. So, you know, we're, we're tenant focused first. And when we look at tenants, there's really, there's a spread of type of, of um, really tenant and credit risk that an investor can look at. So just to use an example, you know, on one side of the spectrum, you might hear sometimes people will own a Walgreens, for example, and those are going to be, you know, very safe, right? Walgreens isn't going anywhere and they have tons of, tons of locations. However, you're going to have to buy that at a very low cap rate, just because the strength of the credit for Walgreens, because it has an outside credit agency, you know, Moody's or S&P, give Walgreens a credit, uh, credit report. And so because of that, you're not able to extract a lot of value out of that Walgreens. It's very consistent. So you might only get, you know, three, 4% cash flow if you're lucky. And, but it, it's going to be dependable. So a lot of institutions, a lot of, you know, pension funds, life insurance groups, they'll in, invest in those type of triple net deals. What we play in is what's called a below investment grade. So typically any company with above $100 million a year in revenue will have an outside credit agency give them a, a credit report. For us, we play in that sub $100 million a year revenue level. And what that means is there's no outside agencies doing this. So we actually create our own, um, uh, excuse me, our own credit reports for these companies. We deep dive, we look at it, we analyze the ratios. Uh, the guy heading our team actually was, was formerly head of credit analysis for store capital, which is a large publicly traded read. So he, he really, he knows exactly what to look for in terms of, you know, what are the key components on how sure are we really the bet is how sure are you that this business is going to be viable over the five years that you plan on holding the real estate and that they're going to pay their, their rent payments on time. So that's what we look at. And because it's in that sub investment grade space, we're able to capture, in our opinion, additional value. And really that value comes from the arbitrage between real and perceived risk. So there's, there's a perceived risk that smaller companies just are naturally riskier. But when you deep dive and actually look at them, sometimes you see these are actually much profitable, much more profitable companies than a lot of publicly traded ones. You know, they have lower debt. You know, they're often, you know, family owned. They've, they've focused on core business fundamentals as opposed to just booster, bolster their, their stock price. And when you, when you deep dive into it, really you, you can get a, a, a great handle on, hey, what is the true risk of this? And this has been evidenced, you know, it's one thing to, to talk about this, but a track record speaks better. 
And in, in our six year history here, we've never lost a tenant. We've never had a missed uh, rent payment across our entire portfolio. And on average, we've been able to have been able to deliver high teens returns to our investors on an annualized basis. Got it. Got it. So, um, so I'm, there's so much of details there. I want to want to <laughs> piece it piece it into small. So you look at their balance sheet, you know, their credit worthiness. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of details there, right? I mean, it's going to be very difficult. But I'm sure you look at what are the corp products they did do. Have they been on business for a very long time? Maybe it's a family-owned business, not going to go anywhere, I guess, right? And sometimes the product is so core, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, right? So yeah, and uh, so that are the things you would look for, I guess. Okay, okay, got it, got it. And 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 uh, what are the markets? Uh, you look for this kind of deals? So in terms of wh where we buy, mm -hmm. uh, most is in you know some of the South, uh, we have Texas there, and then also the Midwest, so Oklahoma, mm -hmm. Nebraska, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, and really that, that kind of central corridor in the US makes sense on, on twofold. One, you're able to get more attractive cap rates, so really mm -hmm. more, more dollars of NOI generated for every dollar of real estate you, you spend. And then the other piece is just from a manufacturing basis, being centrally located in the U.S. tends to make the most sense for these companies who are distributing and shipping nationwide. So what is the cap rate that you guys target at or what is the industrial uh, single tenant like market yeah. cap rate? Uh, so uh, nationwide, they're trading at about low sixes. Mm -hmm. um, we typically will buy either a little more tertiary or sometimes, um, you know, a little smaller uh, credit profile of a tenant than, you know, some of the, the larger institutions are. So we, we typically target, you know, maybe seven and a quarter to 8% cap rates. And that's been our, our sweet spot range for putting together these acquisitions. So how do you um, get financing? Yeah. So our typical capital stack we're gonna usually get our debt from local real estate lenders. So typically credit unions or local banks, um, almost always in the state of the real estate that we're buying. And for whatever reason we find, they're just more comfortable with the areas. They're more comfortable with the companies, oftentimes in their own communities. And we're able to get better, better interest rates and better leverage on those mm -hmm. type of offerings. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we usually take on about 70% loan to value in terms of real estate debt. And then the, the remaining balance, the 30% will raise from investor equity and co-invest as a company. So we, we typically target about a 15% co-invest of total equity. Okay. So what is the usual, right, right now, if you go and buy today, let's say you get 70% leverage, what, what are the rates do you get? And is it recost, non-recost? What is the amortization schedule usually? Yeah, no, great question. So the, these are always going to be a little different than your, um, you know, Fannie and Freddie. Oh, yeah. Forget about multifamily financing. They, you, can't, oh. you can't beat them, right? So. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. So, you know, when I started this uh, about three years ago, we were getting a lot of like, you know, four and a half, four and three quarter percent. But really, it's been been driving down as the you know credit markets have have loosened and interest rates have you know really driven to the bottom. So our last few acquisitions have been low threes, which uh -huh. for the industrial space is fantastic. Uh -huh. uh, they're almost always recourse, and so we uh, our sponsors or excuse me, the principals of Mag Capital will sign personal guarantees on the real estate debt, and also like I said, heavily co-invested. So it is a little different on that side, but from an investor's standpoint. Typically, we see that as a, a net advantage because you have a sponsor that's much more, you know, fully vested in this deal, has a lot more to lose if the deal goes south. And frankly, it's just more inclined to make sure that they do what it takes to keep the deal afloat. 
if it yeah. ever gets these issues. How big are these deals? How, let's say one deal usually, what is the price? What is the total price range usually? Yeah, uh, so we play in that middle market space. So mm-hmm. largely, um, you know, everything five million below is kind of reserved for the individual buyers, individual investors. Typically above 25 mil, you know, you start getting a lot of competition from, you know, institutions, large REITs, uh, you know, people with large checks to place. And so we, we typically play about eight to 20 million as our sweet spot for total um, acquisition size. Mm-hmm. And that usually correlates to roughly, you know, two to five and a half million in equity per project. And so, and, and we don't, we don't run a fund. Um, the way we structure ours are, you know, direct placement, deal by deal basis um, for each project. Got it. Got it. Got it. And how frequent do you guys do deals? Uh, last year we did, I think nine. So it was actually, you know, we were, <laughs> COVID was a little wild, you know, in, in mm-hmm. March and April timeframe, but you know, the, the asset class really just proved to be, you know, comparatively one of the most resilient in the commercial real estate space. And this year really the, the whole concept of the transactional structure of a sale leaseback is kind of gaining momentum and, and acceptance. So we're seeing really a lot of folks that have held real estate for a long time and are seeing, hey, this is a way to kind of you know, continue to, to grow our companies. Mm-hmm. So I think we're probably going to look at you know, between eight, or eight to 10 projects this year that we do as a company. Got it, got it, got it. So you target below $100 million in uh, credit worthiness of, of the tenant, right? That's what you look mm-hmm. at. I mean, not credit worthiness, the, the, uh, the gross, balance, revenue. gross revenue. Okay, got it. And you look for like eight to 20 million because anything above 20 million is institutional grade, I guess, right? Below 5 yeah. million is, is individual buyer, right? So yep. is there something new that was brought into syndication? I mean, how, how were the owners doing it before you guys were syndicating these deals? Yeah, I mean, you know, typically it was either individual or, you know, kind of what we call JV, where you get mm-hmm. a, a handful of investors who are all managers on the deal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now we strictly do syndications where, you know, our group takes the GP manager liability side and then our investors are fully passive. So um, as a result of that, you know, we've, we've slightly tweaked our structure a little bit um, and it's really a, it's, it's cash flow first. So we got it, got it. I, our standard is, you know, a deal should be able to pay out from day one, a minimum of 8%. Um, some, some projects will even start at nine. And then with these leases, we actually build in from day one, we build in annual rent bumps. So it's, it's all taken care of from the day that we, we close on the purchase. And most of these, these leases have 2% rent increases per year. And because there's no expenses, that 2% directly correlates to 2% increases in NOI, which directly goes to investors. Got it. Got it. Got it. And what is the average, uh, you know, uh, return of a deal? I mean, you guys, do you guys look at five years? Uh, yeah. I, when, when we sell, and, and that's not an arbitrary number. The reason we, we like to focus on, you know, roughly five is because when we're signing new leases mm-hmm. with these sale leasebacks, typically you're able to get a new term of about 15 to 20 years. And mm-hmm. So what that means is after five years, you have 10 to 15 years left on the lease. And that, in that scenario, there's enough meat on the bone where that's still a very attractive sale to the next, you know, yield focused buyer. And we're, we're typically selling to, you know, individual buyers, 1031 exchangers, some small, you know, kind of boutique REITs and also other private investment groups. And so uh, because of that, we like it because we never have to, you know, go through a, a releasing risk. You know, the the you know whole end of lease um, mm-hmm. the 
dog and pony show. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe they lease, maybe they release, maybe they don't. Maybe they're going to have you know special terms. Maybe have to you know pump a bunch of money in to kind of coax them to do this. So we we really kind of push that operational risk piece down to the next buyer, and so that's why we we limit our holds to about four to five years. So so let me understand correctly. So the lease that is signed is ten to fifteen years, right? No, usually fifteen to twenty. 15 to 20. So that's when you guys, usually when you buy, you already have that 15 to 20. Usually like that's the, yeah. that's the best case scenario. I guess banks love that because yeah. now you have a long-term lease, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's one of the advantages of, of, you know, having this skill set to do a sale lease back is you are the first owner and you get to pen that lease for as long as you're able to negotiate with the seller. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. So basically after five years, you just see that, okay, we have made enough money for us and our investors now the next buyer have another 10 more years or something like that right so which is which is a really good because usually what i see in the commercial like you know triple nets are like you know if you put five years and the lease are five years you know you you basically your value is depreciating right at the end of mm -hmm. five years because now everybody's supposed to be leaving you can't even sell right so exactly yeah and and we're actually we're able to grow value and typically generate a decent amount of profits historically mm -hmm. And sometimes people are confused on this and they go, hey, if you're not doing any major value add, because they, you know, kind of used to say a, a more multifamily mentality where you, you know, uh -huh. you put new new countertops and new paint on, uh -huh. you know, the way the way we create value really is twofold. So one one is we're paying down principal on real estate debt every month. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then the second piece, which is the main piece, is because there's no expenses those 2% annual rent bumps directly correlate to a 2% per year increase in NOI. So we're seeing, you know, after five years, we've seen, you know, a little over 10% increase in NOI. So even with a consistent cap rate, you know, you've seen fairly substantial increase there in value. Um, you know, and really those are the two main pieces. And then the third piece that we've been fortunate on, certainly not a guarantee, but if the credit, or excuse me, if your tenant grows in the way that that private equity group that just bought them wants them to grow, you can find yourself with substantial what they call credit enhancement. So imagine that, you know, if you own two buildings and one has, you know, a small mom and pop tenant and the other one has a, a massive national tenant, mm -hmm. clearly you're going to pay more for the, for the latter one there. And so if we're buying real estate with say a you know decent credit tenant but you know maybe the revenues are 30 million a year and maybe five years from now maybe they've quadrupled that and they're doing 120 million a year we actually just had a deal with uh you know similar numbers there that's substantial credit enhancement and now you're able to typically sell at a much lower cap rate to the next buyer because of that you know additional security that you've added through a stronger tenant Got it, got it. But you are doing a sale lease back on a single tenant, right? So the tenant is the same. So you may not get that upside on, on that kind of structure, right? Uh, I mean, correct. Yeah. So you're buying, you know, you look at the credit from day one of what mm -hmm. that tenant looks like. And really, if that tenant continues to grow just, you know, organically amongst their own business, if mm -hmm. they're able to continue to grow over the next few years, like they hope to typically, then that that's a win-win for both them and for you as a real estate holder. Got it. And how does credit uh, worthiness increases for a tenant throughout the years? What uh, I mean, it can be look? just everything. I mean, the, the main factors people will look at are, you know, low debt. Mm -hmm. uh, they look at, at gross revenues and they look at EBITDA. You know, and okay. not just EBITDA, but EBITDA margins, you know, are they, Hey, are these, are these guys profitable on a day-to-day year-to-year continual basis? And really that's, if they're able to demonstrate that and demonstrate year-over-year -year growth, 
now they're a, you know, they're a great target to get acquired by a bigger private equity firm, right? You know, just kind of lever up in that way. Got and it. the bigger fish that, that swallow those tenants, you know, you're still the landlord and you, you end up seeing and carry over benefit in terms of a stronger, you know, uh, credit behind that, that tenant now. Got it. Got it. So I think, I don't know, my understanding is from what I'm hearing from you. I mean, the, the biggest unique value proposition that, you know, uh, you and your company have is basically you're targeting a sale lease back strategy, right? At the same time, you're targeting industrial, right? Which gives you this two advantage, I guess, right? I mean, compared to a medical office, you know, we can do the same thing over there, but of course you have to find a sales lease back. And, uh, you know, if you do that, then you can control the lease, I guess, right? And mm -hmm. uh, also, uh, you know, the industrial is doing pretty well right now. So that's a good thing, I guess. So, so okay. Awesome. So, um, all right. So you have any, uh, why not you tell our audience how to get in touch with you and about your, you know, about your website of the companies and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So Neil Wagren with MAG Capital Partners, MAG. Um, you can find us on the web, uh, magcp, magcp.com, or you can just email directly neil, N-E-I-L at magcp.com. And most of our investments are structured under 506B. So we, we need to have a uh, establish a relationship before we can share our offering. So, um, but just reach out. We'll have an intro call with myself or someone on the team and then kind of uh, go through the, the process and any questions you might have. Awesome. All right, Neil, thanks for coming on the show. I think, uh, you know, it was really good to deep dive into the uh, net single tenant uh, net lease industrial. So Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for Thank having you. me, James. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, take Bye. care. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.